We ready for all y'all. We ready. We ready. We ready for all y'all. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Welcome to episode 227 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. That screaming madman who reminds you of... What was that scene? What was that movie? Was it, it wasn't Wolf of Wall Street. It was the, the big short where... That guy, like, pounding his chest, he's pounding his chest at the restaurant. That was Wolf of Wall Street. That was Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf that was such a good movie. Yeah, that was a badass movie. Leo's oh. just a stud, man. Yeah, great. Everything movie. he touches is just good. All right, so Sam and I just got done recording an episode for Invest Like a Boss, which is our podcast that we record together. That one was episode 124 of Invest Like a Boss podcast. So if you guys want to check that out, you guys can. But Sam has agreed to stay on and record an episode for Travel Like a Boss so we can talk about this bossy travels that we've been doing together, meeting up every year since we last spoke. And and when was the last time you were actually on this show? I want to say it was when we were in Bulgaria like two years ago. Yeah, it's been a long time, right? It's been a while. And I think I feel like you were on a lot when we were in in Europe, just because we were traveling together. And then I had you on episode one hundred and five, which was over a hundred episodes ago. So probably, yeah, like three years ago. That was called Millionaire Digital Nomad with Sam Marks, and that was kind of one of the first times I really sat down and got to know you as a friend, and not just as a you know a speaker at the Nomad Summit or. This uh, hotshot dude who, you know, made tens of millions of dollars selling a company. Well, thanks, Johnny. It's nice to know that you took the time to get to know me and see who I really am. Ah. Means a lot. <laughs> so, it's been a it's been kind of an epic journey. But one of the, the cool things that Sam and I do together is every summer we go on a trip together. So, first year was around uh, Eastern Europe, and that's how I got introduced to Ukraine. The next year was a walk across Ireland, which I really, really enjoyed. I still think about today. I, I, I've forgotten the bad sides of it, of just like the rain and just being exhausted after running, you know, walking like we, we literally walked a marathon in one day. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. It was, I think that was about as, as much as humans can actually walk in a day. So they military history, a lot of the, the kind of failed or forced marches that have failed uh, and there's a few of them. It's usually around like 35 miles in a day with pack on. And I think we walked about high 30s that day. It was high 50s in terms of kilometers. So big walk with pack. We yeah, made it. but all I, I don't remember that part of it. All I remember is waking up in these small towns, having a full Irish breakfast, which are these amazing, huge, like five course breakfasts. You have eggs, sausages, bacon. The like bread put like the whatever the the meat pudding that they have it's kind of like ground up sausage blood or something I don't know <laughs> hash browns like grilled tomatoes mushrooms and then bread and I remember it was so much food that even though I'd be starving I would only eat half and then I would make a sandwich out of the other half so I can eat on the trail 
Yeah. Oh, well, and and you mentioned the the rain and the exhaustion, but it just wouldn't have been the same without it. That's yeah. what makes that's what makes the good stuff so good. It was so beautiful and so green and so lush, and it was. I mean, we we, we have a video about it, and this uh, I think Sam made one, I made one. So if you look on on YouTube, just search Johnny FD or Sam Marks Ireland, and you can watch those videos. I wrote a blog post about it as well. It's called the Wicklow Way. And that was amazing. I really, really loved that. And I remember after a long day of walking, so we'd start, you know, 9 a.m. And we'd be done walking 8, 9, 10 hours later, 5, 6 p.m. You'd always be a bit faster. And you'd, you, you would meet me at the local pub. And there was always only one pub in these little villages we would spend the night at. And you would order us a round of Guinness, knowing that they take a few minutes to kind of settle so I would walk in five, ten minutes later, exhausted, but I would see <laughs> this pint of Guinness freshly poured waiting for me. And it was I remember the the creme on top, the the head was always perfect. It was like right to the edge, just like you know, three quarters inches of, of head. And I remember just tasting that every day and thinking, Wow, this this made the whole day's walk worth it. It really did. It really did. And then the one Guinness in the evening turned into one Guinness at lunch and then turned into <laughs> one Guinness for breakfast. And then all of a sudden we were drinking a Guinness at every pub that we passed on the way. And that became part of the rules of the walk. But yeah. Ireland, what a fantastic country. Wonderful people. Just so much to, to do there. So much joy in that country. It really is like magic. Yeah. If, if anyone's never been to Ireland – it's it really is magical. I, I would say you, you're right. That's the only way to to describe it because you can go to a bar in any country. You can go to an Irish bar in any country, but it's it's not the same. They they if you talk to an Irish person and they talk about the crack, <laughs> they're not talking about the drug. They're talking about just having a great time at a bar. And Ireland is mm-hmm. one of the only places in the world you can go, not know a single soul, go there, just show up. And you'll come out having great friends. Like you'll have a great time. You'll feel welcome. You'll feel at home. You'll be, you know, you'll be just in a great mood. You'll laugh. You'll so laugh. If you yeah, have trouble laugh. laughing, just go to Ireland. Yeah, you'll get plenty of laughs. And it's a weird place where everyone's so friendly, and like it's not even, and like both the guys and the girls are friendly. And it's, but it's one of those weird places where they're almost like your brothers and sisters where like you don't even want to like hit on the girls that you meet in, in, in an Irish bar in Ireland because you're just like having such a nice time with everyone. We're just like, you know what? Like it doesn't even matter. Like I don't even need like you don't need to to you know party or you know get a phone number. You just like you're just having such a good time and you know you can go back any day and have the same kind of family feeling of being around just great people. Yeah, I could definitely see myself spending some adequate time there each year, like August, September, something like that. There's, You can drive, you know, it took us 28 days to walk from Dublin to Galway. It took you it 28 was... days. <laughs> I went back by bus after I think it was seven or eight days. And I was like, you know what? I've had, I've, I've walked the best part of it, the Wicklow Way, and the rest of it is Sam's insane plan to just walk across the country for no reason john johnny had the filet mignon and left the left the salad and steamed vegetables on the plate i left the gristle <laughs> on the plate 
It sounds like all right. I'm, uh, I got to eat all this. I got it's. It was like you know the the sixty four ounce steak challenge, the, yeah. the three kilo steak challenge, where you you eat it and you're like, oh, you know, I can do this. This is actually pretty tasty. I'm enjoying it. And then you're leaving the gristle and the fat, and they're like, no, 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 <laughs> got to eat it yeah. all. Nope. Nope. You got to go like, to kill Kenny. Yeah, got to make it the limerick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I I really had a good time. Like, thank you, thank you for organizing and inviting me on that, Sam. Yeah, man. It was a weird feeling after the 28 days of walking. We stayed one night in Galway and then rented a car and drove back to Dublin. And it took all of about three hours <laughs> to drive <laughs> the same distance. It took 28 days to walk. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, like, like we walked through the mountains and all the way to the south. And then kind of you walked back up and then west. While when he drove, it was just a straight shot. Yeah. And I wanted to say that we we're the only people to ever walk completely across the country. But if you go back like three, four, five hundred years, oh it's yeah, pretty common. Yeah, like yeah. that's how they did it. Not everyone had a horse, so you would walk, and it would take you know that would be your that would be your trek. So we're just yeah. spoiled in our modern modern age. I do think it was. I do think it was one record. I do think it was the world's longest pub crawl because ah. it was twenty eight days. And every single day, I count. I counted all the pubs that we hit, and on average, I think we hit about three a day. So uh, I, I want to say it ended up being like seventy-eight wow. pubs that we went to. That's nice. Did you go to like any of those really old old pubs? So uh, on the way, no. Although most of the pubs are are at least a hundred to two hundred years old, but there are some pubs in Ireland that are are stated at being about six seven hundred years old. And I have gone to those before, just on like a road trip around Ireland, purposely going for the oldest pubs. But <laughs> <laughs> it's neat. It's a neat okay. country. I like it. Speaking of Ireland, I want to give a shout out to Conor McGregor. <laughs> I just heard a uh, interview with him on the Tony Robbins podcast, and I think it was really kind of the first time I heard a long form interview with him. You know, it's always kind of these short interviews where he's kind of just yelling out like, "Yeah, I'm the best," like I'm, you know, I'm undefeated. This was the first time I really kind of heard his psychology and, and what it was like. He had he he started a bunch of companies now since he's you know sem uh, taking a break I guess from fighting. So he started a clothing line. Did you know, you know he has a fashion line now? Didn't know that. Only only the proper whiskey. Yeah, and then he has the 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 Irish whiskey, the head to head competitor against Jameson called Proper Twelve. Do you know where that he gets that name from? Not specifically, although I do know proper is a very uh, a word used very commonly in Britain and Ireland. Yep. So that that part you got. Uh, it's named after the little town where you know the the place he grew up. It's called Dublin Twelve. It's kind of like a mm-hmm. sub a suburb or town or township that is kind of ghetto. It's kind of like a like a rough part of of. Um, of Dublin, just outside of Dublin, and I guess you could have called it Dublin Twelve, but I think Proper Twelve sounds better. Yeah, I do too. It's a good name. Yeah, I saw it actually. I haven't tried it yet. I've heard it's got it has mixed reviews, <laughs> but I did see it at a bar in Miami uh, recently. So it's it's getting some distribution for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would order it. Uh, I would get a bottle. I would pick up a bottle the next time I see it, just to kind of su- support him and his his dream. Because you know, who knows if it's great whiskey or not? You know, because it, 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 here's the problem: is even if it's not good whiskey. Like most of his fans wouldn't care anyways because they just want to order, you know, something you know made by Conor McGregor or endorsed by him. Yeah, um, it's the same you know reason why people order like some fancy champagnes or you know because their rappers talk about him. But 
you know, props to him, man, for, for creating a real business and a legacy and not just blowing his money and then getting too old to fight and, and losing it all. Man, I, I, that transition has got to be really challenging. I don't, I don't envy it, man. I wouldn't want to necessarily have the peak and rise that he had because I feel like that would be a very difficult thing to, to switch off that you can never really get back. I mean, the rise that he had was incredible. Yeah, and, and the, the fame that he that he reached is going to be so hard to. I mean, he's still a young guy; he's thirty, right? It's going to be hard to replace that level of stimulation. Yeah, any no matter what, you can start a hundred thriving businesses. You'll never recapture that, and that's why you have these you know football players that get addicted to drugs and blow all their money, and you have these the military that can never fully retire and assimilate into civilian life. But I think his rise is one for the record books it'll be very difficult to replace that 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 level of engagement yeah and and, and it's and it's hard because I, I think most people who get quick fame like that they end up kind of just dropping completely off like th there was a this this article going around saying instagram influencer with you know i found how many was like 500 like half a million followers or something something like really huge um uh, fails to sell 12 t-shirts <laughs> and i at first you know you're laughing because you know it's it's hilarious right you know you're an instagram influencer with hundreds of thousands of influencer of uh followers and the post was her saying hey i'm, I'm not to shut down my store because they have a you know a 12 piece uh minimum and i couldn't make it and people commenting saying like what do you mean you can't sell 12 freaking t-shirts you know like what's what's wrong with you and at first, I just assumed they were bought likes or bought followers, but then I, I did some research, and she was like a legitimate, you know, uh, like um, social media kind of icon for a bit for doing like some random thing like lip syncing karaoke videos, and she was an attractive girl, you know, and like you know, like young, like young girl, but like you know, like for her fans, she's like an attractive person to follow, so that's why she had that many legitimate followers. But it's sometimes hard to like make the switch, and like she couldn't do it. She literally could not sell twelve t-shirts. <laughs> I find that it's it's really like when you have an income stream that you can you've established uh, a little a business of such that you've established to build on that is I I think is somewhat easy. Not easy. I won't say anything's like that's easy, but comparatively to having a business exiting and starting from scratch. Is, can be extremely difficult. It can be even if you're a very seasoned entrepreneur, it can be extremely, extremely difficult, and and very frustrating at the same time. Yeah, and like so, the, another big fail is, do you, do you remember you know that dance where you kind of like it looks like you're flossing? Uh, no. Is that like is lot, that something you picked up in in your re the, recent trip to the Ukraine? <laughs> no, <laughs> like a lot of kids, like a lot of kids do it, and it was actually invented by this guy named backpack kid and it's 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 really popular it's like a meme it's in fortnite as kind of one of the dance moves but and it look, you know it looks kind of cool right but i feel really bad because i saw this interview with this this guy who used to be a 14 year old kid who invented this dance move you know it's kind of got really popular but this mm -hmm. was like three or four years ago now he looks like an adult he's like 18 years old or 19 even and He's still just trying to live off of this meme, basically, that he made. He mm -hmm. tried to, like, sue Fortnite and, 
you know, Oprah and all these companies, you know, these big companies for showing it without paying him. But he lost because it's not like a patentable, like, you know, dance routine. It's like literally just swinging your arms and and it's too sh- it's basically what it is it's it's too short to be patented it's just one mm-hmm. move and not like a routine like the whole macarena might be patentable but like moving your that. arms in front of you for like two seconds isn't yeah that's just kind of a lame way to go about life just hanging on to that one thing and suing everybody for it yeah and but it's hard because when you're like that recognized for a while and like that famous i mean he was literally all over like ellen and all these shows but not being able to keep that fame or monetize or hold on to it, and, you know, and maybe maybe not him specifically, but a lot of these athletes they'll make a lot of money during those couple of years. They'll make a few million dollars, mm-hmm. but they'll spend a few million dollars and they're left with nothing. Yeah, God, it's got to be it's got to be challenging. Imagine being a, a pro football player and getting out when you're 32, and what do you do? Like when your whole life was football, and you're you're not not in your physical prime anymore you're, you're you're fading but like what do you do how do you how do you go and do something that a replaces that level of stimulation and b like has has a skill that you have the only thing you can really do is either use your fame to be a spokesman and, and maybe like be a commentator for espn or something or be one of the very few that are able to transition successfully into business uh, and have the have the brain for that but and i don't I don't know. I don't. While I would have loved to have been a pro football player, I don't envy at all that position of com- comparing where we're at in our mid 30s, comparing to somebody that's c- retiring from their thing and having to p- transition. That would be challenging. Yeah, I'd rather be me today than a retired professional football player that has that has gone broke. Because at least now right. I have both the money saved up. You know, as we talk about and invest like a boss and having that continuing to make us money but also have the business skills to be able to continue you know creating businesses and making money and you know i guess just having the 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 knowledge to save and invest instead of just blowing it going out to strip clubs and spending you know ten thousand dollars in a night just because everyone else in the nfl is doing that yeah i mean i think where you're at you you can view your prime in life may probably uh, still ahead of you you know, maybe it's five years ahead of you. You'll be at your financial prime. You'll be at your your peak influence level. You'll be at, you know, you'll have the knowledge and, and network. Whereas a pro football player is probably closer to like late twenties, mid twenties. But it's hard. It's hard to peak after that. It's hard to, for them to peak after they re- retire from that. Yeah, I mean, like so on invest like a boss. We've had on some you know former kind of celebrity athletes like Bob Sapp that was episode 116 and it sounds like he's starting to kind of you know uh invest a bit now and you know and figure out ways to to make money cuz he knows he's getting a bit older and he's not going to be able to fight that much longer but like imagine if he listened to this podcast where he started you know investing when you know back in what, 10 years ago now, I guess, mm-hmm. when he was in his prime and he was fighting a K1, he was a superstar in Japan. Like, imagine how amazing that would have been financially for him if he was like, you know what? Uh, let me let me, let me me take half of what I'm making. Let me take a million a year instead of, you know, spending a million a year parting it up. And I'm sure he had a really great time, but it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard because everyone else around you is also doing the same and nobody's mm-hmm. talking about saving or investing you know, or creating passive income or creating a business. 
and you you know in like Bob Sapp's case, he's he said that he acknowledges that 70 percent of the people that watch him fight want him to get beat up because everyone wants to see the big guy fall. And so now he's at age he's almost forty five, and wow, he's got to yeah. take fights to to he's basically a prize fighter. He's got to take fights to to make that check. But knowing like you're forty, I mean I'm thirty four right now, and things don't feel the same as when I was in my late 20s or mid-20s, right? So 10 years from now, I'm sure getting up out of bed is not going to feel particularly pleasant as well. He's got to go out and get into the ring when everybody in the audience wants to see him get nailed. <laughs> and he's got to... And, and that's the income stream, right? And I think that's the lesson that a lot of... And we talked about that in the episode as well. Like That's the lesson for professional athletes is to start taking this stuff seriously when they're at their peak so that when they get out, they're not forced to leg out another two or three years in pain just yeah. to, to keep that income coming, you know? So just in case there's any professional athletes or anyone in that position listening now, what I would probably do and recommend would be, you know, like, in, you know, enjoy that, enjoy that time, enjoy that fame, enjoy going out and partying, but you're famous. Realize that like, you can probably just ask for a, you know, free club entry or free, free table, free bottle just for promoting mm -hmm. that you're going to be there. Like you don't have to actually spend, you know, ten grand going out. You can probably just get it for free, and or just have a limit. Just say like, look, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna spend three hundred bucks, but that's my limit. I'm, I'm I'm gonna leave my credit card home. Here's my cash, and if your friends, or your teammates want to splash out, just be like, hey man, like look, like I, you know, I'm 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 happy to chip in three hundred bucks for the table, but like that's my limit. Like if you if you guys want to splash out, you're welcome to, but like I'm you know don't order anything on my card. Yeah, absolutely. And also just the education part. So many of these guys, they get that first check. They don't know what to do with it. You get a financial advisor. But during the entire course of 10, 20 years of using that financial advisor, you're not going to learn much. Yeah, They're going to spin you around with all this backwards terminology. They're going to manipulate the numbers. They're going to make you they're going to make things sound confusing. So you ask less and less questions. And at the end of the year, you're going to get a statement that's going to say you made a little bit of money, you lost a little bit of money. Some of the numbers will be blurry. You won't <laughs> be able to tell what's what. You don't see the fee structure. And then over the course of, of you know 10 or 20 years, you don't learn much. Uh, and then you're completely at their mercy yep. to perform. And I think that's just a very uh, uneducated a way to go through your life. You got to take it into your own, own control. You got yeah. to learn this stuff. Definitely. But also, I think, like, from a business point of view, I think if you have fame, utilize it. Like, you know, use it to promote your own products. You know, like, even, like, as an athlete, like, it's not that hard to create, like, an exercise program, right? Like, if The Rock mm -hmm. came out right now with diet plan, like, The Rock, like, uh, you know, 30-day diet plan or The Rock 30-day workout, I would buy it. I'd be super curious what he does because he's in great shape. I, I, I think thousands – Probably hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million people would just buy his, you know, twenty nine dollar ebook or his video training course on what he does to stay in shape. And you can mm -hmm. absolutely do that if you're in your prime as an athlete. And that's passive income, basically for the rest of your life. Yeah, it only takes one of those to get it right. But you you run some risk in diluting your own brand and your own name by putting out too many things. But look yeah. at like Foreman Grill is a great example. Yeah. Or fifty cents investment in vitamin water. Uh-huh. Great example. Two things that returned very handsome. Yeah, I definitely agree. And okay, so I I guess before we talk about a bit more travel, you know what? Let's talk about a bit more travel first before talking about like how you how we fund this, because this is kind of the, the fun part of it. 
GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God, have you seen? Did you see that Australian couple, the guy with the neck tattoos that say like freedom, that are yeah. asking for GoFundMe contributions to fund their travel? Oh man, it makes me ill. It's just ill. You know, or like the back. <laughs> but the problem is, people yeah. actually pay it, and then, yeah. this, and then the cycle continues. Like Thailand is cracking down now on like the backpackers who are you know, the ones that are selling like art or jewelry. I don't mind. Like at least they're selling something, right? I understand why Thailand might not want them to compete with locals who are also selling their art or their jewelry. You know, because it's taking away from local economy. But at least they're selling something, right? I'm I'm okay with that. You know, or even a street performer. Actually, I don't know because the problem with the street performers is some people might just give them money because they feel bad that this rich, you know, Western white person is performing and begging for money on the street. But the ones that mm-hmm. for sure like should not be, should not exist are people that literally just have a sign that says like help me fund my travels, let me continue my travels. He, you know, he, you know, I'm sitting on the they side of Bangkok. In jail. They should, they should do, be thrown like, in jail. Yeah. Well, not even that, because then they're just taking up, you know, pathetic. economy. Like it's a pathetic, that's a pathetic way to go through life. If you're doing that, you're you're pathetic. I'm sorry. Do something. Add value. Play a guitar and ask for a tip. If you sit on a sign and ask for, okay, there's 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 a case for the the uh, the veteran, you know, on the side of the road who's got. And I'm not a huge fan of that, but yeah, there's people that have been mentally destroyed through sacrifice. Uh, and they might not have the ability to go out and, and do something. There's a case for that. But if you're traveling and you're begging for money to travel, I think you should be locked up or at least caned. Cane him in the ass a couple of times. <laughs> and say, then you can continue. Every day that you beg, you get one cane on the ass. <laughs> Man, it's hard. I mean, I would, I would always, almost say like Tyler should just deport them. But then who's going to pay for that flight? And like, do they just get a free flight home? There's chicken buses in Thailand that operate <laughs> quite efficiently. <laughs> you can throw them on the chicken bus. Great grain health therapy. <laughs> yeah, but I think what it is is sometimes people feel they get this notoriety because they have a lot of followers on Instagram. They have over like you know a couple hundred thousand followers, and people tell them that they love them and that they're inspiring because they're taking these beautiful photos in these amazing places in Bali. But what it is is. A lot of it's BS. Like, I know a lot of Instagram influencers or travel bloggers who literally are broke out of their mind. They just beg these resorts for like a you know a free night stay, and they'll go and they'll they'll work for like eight hours just taking photos, like just posing for photos to get the one or two perfect photos, and then just write on their Instagram, you know, saying like, oh, you know, check out this resort. It's it's so amazing. And I guess on one one hand, it's working because in it, it's good advertising for the resort, but the same at the same time, these so-called influencers, like most of them are broke. Like most of them have and a lot of them are depressed. Yeah, and a lot of them are real depressed. Yeah, and they, they're not even enjoying the country because they're just like, all right, from like you know, I have to be up at six a.m. to be here for the sunset photo, or the sunrise photo, and then I have to be in these eight places because <clears throat> we only have seventy-two hours in this country. <laughs> And then, you know, we're going to be on the bus for half of it. And then we have to do the sunset photo here. And then we have to do this nighttime mm-hmm. photo here. And then I have to, like, you know, edit these photos and do a million filters, you know, because they look nothing like they really do in real life in their photos. Right. It's, it's, it's insane. You know, I think the biggest, tr- the most troubling part of that is for those influencers is every day people are telling them how incredible 
their life is and how envious it is. And if they, like everybody, have issues, everybody out there has issues. Some of them, some people have more, dwell on it more than others. But when, if you have personal issues or you're going through some type of down period and everyone's telling you that your life is so glamorous and so amazing, it amplifies those problems. Like I'm pretty sure that's what happened to Anthony Bourdain, right? Everyone's like, wow, he's got, he's just an incredible guy with this incredible life. And he obviously had some internal issues and people are telling him every day his life's great. And he's like, no, it's not. I really have these problems. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. Your life's great. Yeah. And it amplifies everything because, because no one wants to listen to somebody's problems when they think their life is so great. So like, Anthony Bourdain probably had trouble communicating to people and, and talking about his problems because people are like, dude, what are you, what are you talking you're about? worried about yeah. this? Look at your life, bro. And he's like, no, man, I need yeah. someone to talk to. And like, and then no one can relate to him. Or even so being just, afraid to like insult people and ask for help because right. you think that your life should be great. It's hard to get empathy from people when they think your life is amazing. Mm-hmm. But dude, I'll tell you this whole travel thing is it's crazy. Now the, the, the amount of air travel, that's happening. I was on a plane from Barcelona to LA direct. Now <laughs> you can fly like direct anywhere to anywhere nice. in the world. It seems like, and the guy behind me is talking. He's like, yeah, I'm on a, I'm, I'm flying to LA today, Fiji in two days. Then I'm off to Moscow for four days. Then I'm heading to Ibiza for three days. Then I'm going down to Mendoza art. And I'm like, dude, those are all like 15 hour flights. And he's just, it's like hop, 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 hop. It's so easy now and, and air travel is so cheap and convenient. And like with the new airplanes, like the Dreamliners and the A350s, you get off them, you barely feel jet lag or, or tired. And the world is just becoming a much, much smaller place. Um, I recently heard now there's like 60 people that have been to every single, that are alive, that have been to every single country in the world. Yeah. And the, the youngest person that, that has done it just completed it. And she's 20 years old. And I'm like, how sad that she has seen every country in the world by the age 20. Now, what does she have to look forward to? Yeah. And she's always going to be that arrogant know-it-all in the group. Oh, I've, oh, you've been to every oh, I've country. I've been there. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've been there. And then what's she got to but look forward to? But has she really arrived anywhere? And not just her, but just you know the guys sitting behind you, but just people in general who go to countries and they just like bounce around. They're you know, in each place for a few days or a week. I don't, I don't envy them. No. I feel bad for them that they think that that is seeing a country or that's traveling. It's so like it's just tiring, you know, to do. And like when you go somewhere and you check off the you know the top three sites and you're like, okay, yeah, I've been to Barcelona. Like, have you really been to Barcelona? Like, you know, if you just ate at a couple touristy restaurants and you took some photos at at the famous attractions, like you know, versus living there for a while, you know, like going out into nature and hiking, going to like the mm-hmm. local beaches, meeting locals, you know, like I bet you, I bet you half the people who've been to Barcelona don't even know that Spanish isn't the national language there. Like it's wait, what's the national language? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Catalun, Catalunan. See, Catalan. Catalan, Catalan. And like, it's, let me ask you, let me yeah, ask you, let yeah. me ask you, this is a bit of a political question. What do you think about the whole, Barcelona independence thing. Oh man, I understand that people want to keep their own language and their culture, but financially and politically, it is stupid for Barcelona to want to separate from Spain. But at the same time, I think what they should do is they should have some very clear, like, you know, 
ideas of what they actually want. Like, you know, they could say, yes, you know, we, we want uh, Catalan, Catalan, the language to be taught in schools, you know, um, so the language doesn't die. We want our history to be preserved. We want, you know, like, you know, these are the things we specifically want, but, but then use that as a bargaining chip and stay with Spain. I think it's silly when, when, like, if Texas wants to leave the U.S., I think it's stupid. But I think at the same time, I don't blame them if they have, like, specific demands and they use that as a bargaining chip to say, yeah, yeah, we're going to leave the U.S. unless, you know, um, you know, you give us our own kind of voting power and allow, allow us to do what we want to do because, you know, we are our own state. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what do you think? I, mean, I guess I, I thought the question you were going to ask was, what do you think about the over tourism of places like Barcelona? What do you think? Country, well, I, what do you I, think I, cities should do about that? Dude, I, it's a funny that you asked that because I saw on my news feed yesterday that Bar, I didn't read the article, but the title was Barcelona considering. Uh, let me see if I have it. Barcelona considering whatever the word is for not allowing tourists to come up, come in. Yeah. Like they're just gonna forget about no, like no tourists can come to Barcelona. I mean, it's a it's a major problem there for for the locals. While some locals benefit from the economy, like sh- restaurants, shop owners, things like that, a lot of tourists are, are sorry, a lot of locals are uh, like their whole lifestyle is destroyed because they're having to move so far out of the city because everyone is buying the 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 units, the residential units. And turning them into Airbnbs because they can make ten times as much money as lo- renting it to a local. So all the locals are being forced out of the city. I'm sure that can be mitigated with just rules uh, against Airbnb and short time leasing and residential buildings. Mm. But um, I don't know. You know, all this stuff balances. It's like try to protect the old way of things, and uh, it, it's just like gentrification, right? Like I think gentrification is a good thing, but for the people that are living in those areas and are being forced out. It's a bad thing. Yeah. So do you? So if you do you look at the big picture and the long term way the the world is going and say, okay, this is better for the long term trajectory, and unfortunately, some people are going to have to suffer in the meantime. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. It's hard to see with like a I future that, life. I have the answer, Sam. I've been thinking yeah. about this a lot, to be honest. And mm-hmm. so Barcelona, for example. So the, the, there's two parts. There's the tor- the the short-term tourists, and then there's the real short-term tourists, the the cruise ship operators. And I feel mm-hmm. bad saying this because I actually really like the Nomad Cruise, and so I'm going on cruises now like every year. But I was also on a normal cruise, and I realize it just doesn't make sense like to have five or ten thousand people sometimes get off for three hours, go to mm-hmm. the like you know the the two or three top like tourist destinations to, and overcrowd it and then just leave like no, like mm-hmm. the the city itself didn't really make any money from that like it's not really helping their revenue it's just making it super crowded and annoying so the only way that businesses can make money from it is if they kind of just like overcharge tourists for for crap around those you know those touristy areas and that's not good for anyone that's not good for other tourists it's not good for locals i think they should charge a crazy cruise ship tax i think the cruise mm-hmm. ship tax should be like two or three hundred dollars per person or something something like really really high like if somebody really wants to do it and i don't think that fee should be passed to the cruise ship itself mm-hmm. i think that should be it should be a 
a tax to be collected, not even a tax, uh, an entry fee to Barcelona if people want to get off and um, go to these places. Or even like if there's somehow a way to just charge a ton of money for the actual popular landmarks, just charge people $100 to go see like um, the the really famous sites. And if people want, you know, really, really want that selfie at that place, you know, they can pay it. And if they, you know, if they are like, all right, you know what, I'll go and I'll look at some other places or I'll go to like, I'll go to another city or, you know, I'll get a a taste of the the local culture. Maybe I'll go see a show or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think I actually think that capitalism is the, the answer to it. I think, and I think it's ridiculous when they charge $9 to enter, you know, some top tourist destination and it, and then they, and you know, when there's a line of 300 people, like they should just keep raising the price until the line is 30 people. Yeah. I think the whole, what's just happening in like Bali right now and Medellin. Now a lot of the, the nomads and everyone are complaining about how expensive it is, but it's just a natural cycle of things. Place gets exposed as being a fantastic value and a great destination People flood in, they circulate it to their friends, more and more people flood in, prices go up, it balances out, and then people find another undervalued place around the world. I'll tell you what, man, Barcelona, the prices, that is not a cheap place. I'm spending, uh, I feel like I'm in LA when I'm there. The breakfast, I'm having breakfast, like, you know, eggs, scrambled eggs, bread, and a coffee, 11 euros, what's that, like 13 bucks? Uh That's expensive, man. That's expensive, yeah. That's the price of LA. It's the price of New York. So that's why I don't live in Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's recent. I mean, that's not yeah. four years ago. Prices and maybe maybe they jack prices up over the summer as well. Yeah, uh, but, that, that could be it. But here's the thing: is I don't think that it needs to be this like slash and burn tourism. I think like it's instead of just waiting for it to get completely destroyed and then just shutting it down. For example, like PP Island or Boracay, where they're just like, okay, let's allow every you know a hundred thousand people to go there a day on a day Mm. trip and then we realize oh man we've destroyed this beautiful natural resource let's shut it down for one year i think that's stupid i think it's it's poor like foresight by the local government or the tourism board where they could have you know like they knew eight years ago there's too many people are you blaming are you blaming the ties for having yeah i am (laughs) or the spanish yeah Like, Absolutely. I, I mean, the, yeah. I just I just googled uh, I just googled Barcelona tourism canceling, and it's it's full of articles. How tourism's killing Barcelona. Barcelona unveils new law to keep tourists away. I think all this stuff will will start happening. I mean, the world's ba- ba- basically balancing all the all the great value kind of secret places of the world are now exposed. They're going to start flying direct to all these places uh, that we love that were basically on the DL before Johnny FD went rolling through ah. and put on his blog. Uh-huh. Um, you'll be able to fly direct anywhere to anywhere. It seems like, especially major hubs, but to all these great spots, Chiang Mai is going to get a flight from Dubai direct. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Bali now is Bali used to be hard to reach, man. I used to hate flying to Bali. You'd have to take like air Asia, uh, two stops from Bangkok or something. Now you can fly there direct from a host of, of, cities nearby i do feel a bit bad sometimes because i know i'm I'm part of the problem is about telling people about places like chiang mai or other places that, that i really love but at the same time 
I feel like these places are going to get leaked anyways. I might as well tell my circle or my tribe, you know, you listeners, the the travel bosses about it before, you know, so you can enjoy it now before it gets completely overrun. And the nice yeah. thing is there's a lot of places in the world that are are amazing now and will be continued to be more amazing in the future that aren't overrun yet. Like Ukraine, for example. You know, I've been talking about it for the last three years. I think this is the first year that people actually started coming. Like, you know, a lot of, like more nomads are coming, more travelers are coming. And who knows, in three, four years, it's going to be overrun and, and it's going to be overpriced. And then it's going to be the next country, you know, who knows where. Yeah, but the more places people figure out, the more distribution of those people there is, right? So right now, all the, the hotspots, Chiang Mai, Bali, Medellin, you know, a handful of other places, at least with the nomad community, are super saturated. But as more places become great places and, and are figured out, then the distribution, also the, the nomad demographic is going to continue to grow and grow. So I don't know. Um yeah, time. I think the most responsible. I think the most responsible thing for like influencers, like obviously, if you don't expose these places, other people are. I think the most responsible thing is just to carry the right message. Like, there's there's no reason that someone needs to go to any of these low cost destinations and tell people how to live on the cheap. Like, if if the locals are living off three hundred dollars a month, it's not a secret how to live off six seven hundred dollars a month, right? Like, it can be done. But when people go there with that mentality, it, it, it really can be like an ugly thing to see on the streets. When you, when you have someone complaining about a, a 60 cent price of coffee and trying to get a student discount for an extra 15 percent <laughs> off a 60 cent cup of coffee, it's kind of disgusting. I mean, I know we've all been there. We've all been living on a shoestring. But that's just kind of taking advantage of, of locals who are already living on a, a very – on, on, on a shoestring, right? Living a lot cheaper than anyone that's visiting there certainly is. So one thing I think a lot of people don't think about is reasons why we potentially should pay a little bit more than locals. And I don't mean getting ripped off by people kind of just clearly just trying to rob us. That I'm mm-hmm. very, very against. If someone tries to charge me 10 times the amount a local pays, I get pissed off because they're, mm-hmm. just, they're just robbing me whether it's for taxi yeah. or, you know, a kilo of strawberries. But things like, let's say, you know, museum entrance, I don't think, I don't mind paying double what a Thai person pays because I think of it as this way. The price should be 200 baht, you know, $8. $8. It's the lo- the locals are getting a subsidized discount, you know, so that so they can go because there's because you know they, they're they're residents or they're locals. I think that they actually they they just rewarded it differently. I think instead of saying like ties thirty baht, foreigners two hundred baht, I could see why people get pissed off about that. I think what they should do is just have the price be two hundred baht. But if you are have a local you know like Thai um, you know like your local Thai citizen, you have ID, then you get an eighty percent discount or you know whatever it is. And that way, it mm-hmm. feels more more fair. Yeah, I can see that. You know, and you know, as far as like even let's say ordering food or like buying stuff, I don't mind if we pay like a little bit more because we are harder to deal with. I think a lot of people don't realize that when you go on a local bus for thirty cents, but you have a huge backpack or a huge piece of luggage, you should be paying for two seats. Yeah. Versus like a local Thai person or a local, you know. Uh, 
you know, person that takes it to work every day and, and they're half our size and they're not carrying anything. Like, yes. Yeah. And they get yeah. on the bus without complication where like you hold up the line trying to f- yeah. find coins in your pocket and you break a $20 bill for a 30 cent bus yeah, ride. Literally. Like, Cause I mean like just disrupt the whole process. Yeah. It, it, it slows down, it slows down the bus and like, and it's, it's more effort. So we should pay a little bit more for that. I, I don't mind. I agree, Johnny. Maybe we should write a code of tourism for the world, especially for developing countries that should be adopted. You should set some type of standard on Johnny FD that like in order to read this blog and travel to places that you travel, you must agree ah. to these terms of service. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's not going to be me writing that. But I mean, I do, I do try to set a good example. Like, I mean, for example, like in countries where tipping is not the norm, norm I, I like, but if some people tip, like I won't. There's some places like I won't drive up prices for other people. I think that's kind of rude. But mm. for example, in Ukraine, it's not it's not normal. You don't have to tip, but even local Ukrainian people they will try to tip, you know, five or ten percent for a nice dinner. So I've just made it a rule where even though it's super inconvenient because you have to pay, you can't pay tip on your credit card. You have to have these cash for it and normally you don't have the exact cash now i'm like i just make it a rule where i keep you know um, small bills or just like exact change and then i leave 10 percent tips at restaurants even though it's not expected but just because i can't right it's nice absolutely absolutely uh there was this one dude in Chiang Mai. it was it was the worst thing i've ever seen in the in the nomad community I'm, i still get boiled when i see it this guy I'm sure some of the listeners have seen him. He's in Chiang Mai. He's probably 45. He's a developer. I think he might be like a crypto developer of some sort. And he goes to coffee shops and he sets up two to three oh. screens. Uh-huh. And he'll plug in like eight different no accessories. So he'll have an entire like six plug outlet dedicated to charging his phone, his drone his whatever Bitcoin miner yeah bitcoin like literally like all these different accessories and he'll take up he's the he's the guy that will have a bag in the two chairs next to him and then he'll have his feet up in the chair across from him so he's taking up four seats in a like a six seat table then with all of his screens and all of his shit land all over like the table no one's sitting at that table now i kid you not i was nobody can sit at that table no one can sit at a table. And of course, the ties are too nice to say anything, right? So I'm in here for four hours working. And during that four hours, he did not order one thing. Not a thing. He didn't even have an empty cup next to him, wow. right? So he's in here doing all this. He's not He's not buying anything. I mean, it's, it's just, it's so foul, right? But he's exploiting it, the locals, because the locals are too nice to say anything. Right. They won't go in and, and say, oh, sir, can you please buy a coffee? If you're in the U.S., they kick your ass out. Right. But they're, they're too nice to say anything. So I almost feel like they're fortunately, that's pretty rare, uh, but it does happen. And I feel like there needs to be almost like a, an expat police or like a nomad police. So I went up to him and I was like, of course, my blood was boiling. And I go up and I go, oh, sir, um, I, I noticed you didn't have anything. Do you want can I buy, can I buy you a coffee? He's like. I I'm confused. I'm like, well, I just noticed you didn't have anything. Do you want something? Like, I'll buy you something if 
you know, if you would like something. He's like, I, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm saying, I'm like, you've been here for four hours and like you're taking up all the space. And he's like, well, get out, you know, just mind your business. And of course, I'm, my blood's boiling. I, <laughs> I hate confrontation, but like someone has to say something to that guy, right? Uh-huh. So I took a photo and I, I posted it. And then all these people started commenting, like, I've seen this guy. He like hangs out here, 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 does the same shit every single time. And I'm like, why don't people got people got to call people out like that? Cause yeah. That's the only way the system has any type of integrity, right? Yeah. People get away with stuff like that, and it, it feeds on it, feeds on itself. Then people yeah. start thinking that's okay behavior. Yep, that's true. But you know what? And not, definitely not defending him, but there's a very big chance he didn't realize what he's doing wrong until someone like you told him or pointed it out. And this happens a lot with the really loud, obnoxious Chinese tourists from, from mainland China, from Beijing. Yeah. What I, like people, every single person, every single person I know complains about them, but nobody I know has ever said anything to them. Said anything, yeah. So I make Except it my you. point. I mean, I say it every time, like ev- like pretty much every week. Even here in Ukraine, when there's like the occasional Chinese tourist being loud, I'll go up to them and I'll just say, I'll say them at first in English, like, "Hey, like, don't yell, be quiet, it's rude." And if they don't understand, I'll say it to them in Chinese, or I'll use Google Translate and show it to them on the phone. And then they're they're always embarrassed because they don't realize that they're being loud and annoying and obnoxious. But actually, that, this happened. We were sitting in Lithuania at dinner. I remember the this. I remember that. I appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that. I, I I love that about you, Johnny. And like, that's not the first time that you've done that. Like, we've we've been on trips before, and when you see somebody out of line, you you know, you are are very pointed at at going and approaching them. And I think sometimes we overreach, and sometimes we're probably a little too judgmental. But I have that that feeling inside me that when I see that especially if it's an American, right? Because I'm, you know, that's, that's my tribe. If I see that, then I feel compelled to go up and say something. And it, 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 I don't like that feeling inside and I don't like confrontation, but I, you know, if no one's going to say something, it's then how does the system correct itself, you know? Yeah, because people, a lot of times people just are ignorant to it. They don't realize they're doing something bad because in their culture or in their mind, they're doing what they normally do or even like what's kind of expected from them, you know? Yeah. And I try to be polite about it in the beginning, but at the same time, I'm not afraid to escalate it if necessary. So I think yeah. that, that's a, a, a really, really comforting thing knowing first off, first off, I'm a big guy. And second, that I've trained in Muay Thai and I know how to defend for myself where I don't mind going up to someone or a group of people and just, you know, when they're being out of line and say, hey, can you quiet down? You're being rude. Knowing mm-hmm. that if needed, I could defend myself. And I think that's, right. it's something that I understand why some people are uncomfortable going up to people. But like at the same time, like, come on, like a, a, a loud Chinese tourist, is anyone really afraid that they're going to get in a fight with these people? Like, <laughs> just tell them to shut the fuck up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we've all been there. We're in our mid thirties now. I went to Chiang Mai for the first time when I was 27, I think. And I remember right after I just bought my first condo there, I thought it was a big hot shot. And I'm going for a run through Neiman uh, with my shirt off. And some old gentle lady like pulled me aside and said, excuse me, like, where's your shirt? That is not, I think she was American. She's an American or Canadian. That is not appropriate here. This is a very conservative culture. And she basically reamed me out. And I was like, who are you? Like, I own a condo here. I'm as much of a local as you. Like, what are you talking about? And I went back and I and I started thinking about. It. I'm like, I'm a I'm a fucking asshole. 
I'm an asshole. Like she is right. And I got defensive and, and, and she's like what she did. I respect. And I, and I got defensive and, and basically gave it back to her. So I went back out in the street trying to find her because I wanted to apologize and to let her know she was right. But that was more the mentality that I was in. We know when I was new to the nomad scene, I was in my late 20s. And now I guess maybe because I've been doing it for longer, I'm a little bit more sensitive to that type of stuff. And maybe I'm, now I'm trying to step up and fill that gap of correcting younger you know, people who are less experienced nomads. And I think that's, that's how the system works. None of us are perfect. We're, but we're all probably corrected at some point yeah. and now we need to, you know, we owe it to the system to continue with that. And I agree. I'm appreciative when people politely point out if I'm doing something rude. At the same time, I do think that there's kind of this fine line of, I don't know, like let's say there's something about a culture that isn't really beneficial for them, that they're like – and it's almost kind of hard to – to think of specific examples, but let's say like with the, the having the shirt off kind of thing, right? Like if we're mm-hmm. near a beach town and there's really no reason why we should have our shirt on, like we should have to be like fully dressed to be by the beach. And I, on one hand, I want to respect the local culture and traditions that they cover up even at the beach. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm, I, I, I also think I'm like, you know what? They would be happier and freer if they just learned to let loose a little bit. So it is kind of a, a, a weird balance. But I, what I try to do is I try to imitate w- what is acceptable with locals. Like with the shirt off thing, it's kind of, it's kind of complicated because I do see Thai people sometimes just walking around in literally one of those um, – like uh, it almost looks like a towel or something with their shirt off mm. and like near their house. And maybe it's not a high class thing. It's not like – I think like, you know, like high class people don't do it. But there's definitely like the darker skinned Thai people who just walk around, you know, especially the men walk around with their shirt off. Yeah, especially in the South. Well, yeah. mostly in the South. It's culturally a little bit different down there than – well, a lot, a lot different down there than in the North anyways. Yeah. So it's hard because, you know, at the same time, like I want to respect cultures. But I also want to – I want to take the good things from there and also hopefully leave like something good. So like in Thailand – I mean in Ukraine, for example, it's normal to be very like – cold to people or um you know very like pessimistic and not be very mm-hmm. warm not really say thank you i kind of like bring a bit of that american warmth you know not not overly you know not not trying to like change the culture too much but just like kind of like no like doing like no nice things like for example i was rate i was waiting for the this bus and it was it was taking forever we were, we were standing there for like 20 minutes and it started to rain so I decided to call an Uber to the train station because it was uh, we were really far out out of the city. We were like you know forty mm. f- minutes out of the city, and I knew that the people that were also waiting there were also going to go to this train station to the to the metro station. That's like the most common place to go. So mm. I had my friend ask tell them like, "Hey, uh, I called a taxi. We're going to this train station. If anyone wants to join, you can hop in because you know I'm going there anyways. It's raining." And at first they were like, "No, no, no, it's okay." And I was like, no, please, I insist. We have like three extra seats. And they're like, oh, they're like, oh, how much does it cost? And I was like, no, it's like, I'll pay for it. It's, I'm going anyways. Just, just come. Mm-hmm. And eventually I convinced them to come. I almost had to like force them in the cars, but like, just come. Like, don't worry mm-hmm. about it. And it was such an uncomfortable 20 minute drive because they thought that I was going to like charge them something crazy or it was some kind of scam. And when we got to the train station, and I was like, okay, goodbye. The guy was like, wait, wait, like, uh, are you sure you don't need money? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's fine. 
and and he's like thank you like it's this is not normal in ukraine and i was really thinking about that thinking like yeah it was un- it was not normal so i'm breaking their cultural norms and doing something mm-hmm. that makes them feel at least in the beginning a bit uncomfortable just cuz it's different mm-hmm. but i'm hoping that what i left for, you know that you know was they can kind of see like hey you know what maybe next time I have a taxi or I have an extra seat and it's raining and someone, someone needs a lift that I can offer them a ride. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think you've mastered the game after last, uh, how long you been on the road? Actually? Man, dude, way too long. I actually, sometimes it's almost embarrassing. I lie to people like not lie, but yeah. I like, I undersell it because when I'm, especially if I'm just meeting someone for the first time and they're Where's a backpacker. You know, oh, and they're question. like, yeah. yeah, and they're like, oh, like, how long have you been traveling? I've been traveling for two months now. I'll be like, oh, you know, like a little bit longer than that. Like, because by, <laughs> by saying like, oh, it's been 11 years, it just sounds ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous. It sounds like you're a very instable person with no roots, no responsibility. And it's a, it's a tough question to answer because everyone's like, oh, where are you from? Where do you live? Uh, well... Yeah, that's a good question. I've been trying to figure that out for a while. How do you answer that when people say where are you from? I literally answer it different every single time, <laughs> but it usually starts with it usually starts with um good question. Uh, my plan is to do this, but yeah. I still my say plan's San Francisco. always changing, man. Yeah, I say I San Francisco, but I haven't lived there in more than ten years. I definitely do not say any Tampa. place in the U.S. Yeah, but I also don't like saying Thailand because. Sounds weird. They're like, oh, do you speak Thai? It sounds like, weird. Uh, not yeah, really. it's you like, are you yeah, resident? You've been living no. in Thailand too long. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, so I've just been saying I'm moving to Barcelona. Okay. So what, if, if my, my, my visa fails, then i got to come up with something new. Yeah, so t- tell me about that. You're, you had a place in – okay, so I guess long story kind of summarized. We met in Chiang Mai. You were living there in Thailand kind of most of the year for a long time. You owned a couple condos there. And then you moved back to the U.S. for a while. You wanted to establish roots. You signed a year lease for an apartment and a, a two-year – was a two-year car lease in Tampa? Yeah. Bought furniture, mm-hmm. set up a whole life, You know, decided, okay, I'm done with this nomad thing for a while. I'm going to settle down. What, what happened? Yeah, it was it – was- it was good uh, and then it grounded me and it made me appreciate like I was just burned out of the nomad thing I was burned out of not having a home or place to be or a, a solid group of friends in any place I have like friends in a hundred different countries or, or, or cities around the world but I don't have like a core group where I know I go and there's 30 friends or something so I set up the place in Tampa just to be near my grandma be near my parents try to get Reassimilated back to the U.S. Um, and it was good in some ways, but I just realized long term, I don't near term, long term. I don't think it's for me. I don't, I don't find it that interesting. I don't have any reason to be there. So uh, yeah, so the plan is changing now to move to Barcelona, working on my Spanish visa, uh, and then I'll probably keep a small place in like Charlotte. I know this shit's getting confusing. I see your face. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know, man. I like I like Europe culture and I like Asian culture. And I don't like North America is just it's just where I'm from. People want something different, I think, right? So I go back and I'm like, yeah, there's all these comforts. Uh, I have my family and I know how to get around and I know the system. But 
I know what's around every corner and it's not interesting to me. But when I'm in like Europe or especially Barcelona, as soon as I walk out on that street, I'm just like stimulated. I love it. I love everything about it. I love, just feel like I fit perfectly in. For me, when I go to Chiang Mai or I'm walking around the streets of Eastern Europe, I feel that same excitement and simu- like stimulation that I don't really get back home or if I'm in one place for a long time. And I think it's 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 natural to want to explore and, and see new different places. I also wonder, though, if... I don't know. Like, just because we can do this and it's, it's exciting, should we be doing this? Like, sh- is it normal or is it healthy to just have new, you know, stimulation... You know, every day for the rest of our lives i mean I, I guess an easy way to think about it would be like i i don't think i eat at the same restaurant ever more than like once or twice because i'm always in a new city or new country even though i really like that restaurant i'm like go somewhere I'm like wow oh, this place is amazing but just because i'm not physically in that city for that that much i'm not going back to the same places is that better and you know to go to, to try you know new cuisine and new places every time you go out, or is it better to have like the handful of restaurants that you in your hometown that you love and you adore and you go back to all the time for like you know ten twenty thirty years? Depends what your metric for measuring ha- uh, better is. But one good thing to consider, one good reference point, would be that the USA is probably the most stimulated country in the world. When you think about capitalism, there's drugs, there's party, there's fast cars, there's the latest technology, everyone's on their phones, blah, 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 right? It's a super stimulated country as a whole. It's not a very long living country as a whole. It's got a lot of heart disease, a lot of cancer, shorter lifespans than Europe, Asia. If you look at where people live the longest in the blue zones, they're people that have very little stimulation. They're people that live in a very communal type of place, usually by the beach. They have very simple diets. They probably never go to restaurants. They always eat at home. They have community around. They drink a lot of wine. Uh, but they have very little stimulation, but they have a lot of comfort. They have a lot of, of just safe feelings, warm feelings. So if you want to live a super interesting life, then yeah, I think that what you're talking about doing is probably the best story and something that you'll have the least regrets with. But if you just want to live the longest and be the healthiest, Probably best just to hunker down to one place, get a tight-knit group of friends, a couple bottles of wine, and just uh, chill. Yeah, I think the longer I'm, I'm doing this nomad thing, the more I want to slow down. I think my ideal nomad life, my ideal kind of life life would be five or six months, so basically half the year in summer like Chiang Mai where it feels like home, I have good community, I have good friends, people I see, you know, and it's it's nice because every winter, I see the same people in Chiang Mai because even though they travel, everybody comes back in November, December, January for the great weather, clean air, and also for the Digital Nomad community, the Nomad Summit. Mm-hmm. And it's just a nice reunion every year. I, I, I don't think I would ever give that up. So let's say three months in Chiang Mai every year, November, December, January, maybe the beginning of February. I'll tell you what's going to kill that for you is when you have kids. I've thought about this a thousand times, and that's if you have kids, you can't go there during those months because of school. No, I'm, I'm going to take them. I'm taking them. I don't, I don't, the American <laughs> education system is terrible anyways. All right. So, well, when you figure out how to make that work, let me know because I've thought about that a lot, and 
I would like to do the same thing. But, so okay, so Chiang Mai the, that time of year. Where else? Okay, and then from let's say mid February, March, April, maybe somewhere like Sri Lanka. Great place for for like surfing, being by a beach, you know, or it could be anywhere else, like you know, anywhere else in Asia, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then as soon as the weather gets better, so let's say May. June, July, August, September, those six months, somewhere in Europe, somewhere, you know, that's not too busy. Like I personally wouldn't go to Barcelona, but I would definitely go to one of the smaller beach cities in the south of Spain or somewhere in Portugal, Mm -hmm. Canary Islands, you know, or Eastern Europe. I really like these places. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, I guess once, you know, a month back in the U.S. a year. But honestly, I wish I could just cut that out. Like it's, I I would rather be able to fly just directly between uh, Europe and and Asia back and forth than have to go back to the U.S. because it it's so out of the way. It's, it is. But my oh, parents well, are but, there. I have yep. friends there. Sometimes I need to go back and pick up a physical driver license or credit card. Like it's yeah. It's just part. It's just the it's the cards we we have. Yeah. We're never gonna be able to cancel out the U.S. because we have family there. Yeah, but as far as having kids, and I, I've actually already thought about this. So for the first, you know, three, two, three, four years, even you don't need. They're not in school, right? And if anything, just just throw them on your back. I wouldn't even have a, um, a stroller. I would literally have one of those like kangaroo pouches and just put them on my on my back or my front and just walk around. Mm-hmm. And then I think once they get to an age, like so kindergarten, preschool, you can just like throw them in the local ones. Like it really doesn't matter. They just need to have simulation with other kids, mm-hmm. you know. And But I think it's, you know, first through fifth grade, that's really important where they need kind of like a core, uh, like building yeah. blocks for like language, alphabet, things like that. I think what I would do is I would do a hybrid system. I, I don't believe in, in, in homeschooling. As in, like, I'm teaching or my wife, you know, the mother of the kids are teaching, like, this one kid or two, you know, two kids that are three years apart. I think it's silly. Mm-hmm. I think what it would – but at the same time, putting them in a public school of, like, 30 or 40, 50 people in a classroom I think is also silly. I think what would be really cool is to hire a good, like, you know, teacher and – pay for them to travel with us or live in those countries with us because they want to like you know imagine that like as a teacher they would love to travel and go to these cool yeah. places let's say hey this is our schedule for the next year you need to commit two months in thailand two months in the canary islands two months in, in lisbon two months in prague whatever would you like to do that and i guarantee uh, you know they would be happy to do that especially if we pay for their flights yeah you know and their babysitter their like teacher a helper and to keep that cost down, I can just announce it as a program and say, this is our schedule. This is our teacher. We have room for eight other kids. You can join in for some or all of this itinerary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can organize that with enough people that want to join that schedule and also have the kids that are the same age, I think that could be ideal. It's basically like homeschooling with your own private teacher. Yeah. But, like, it's the best of both because, like, if you have even just five other kids, it's enough for social interaction, you know. And I think by traveling and being exposed to different cultures, they'll probably learn more doing that than, you know, sitting in a classroom. Well, they'll definitely learn more life skills. I mean, there's not much that you – I think growing up early school, like, you, you, of course, learn language and you learn basic mathematics, which is very important. 
but there's not a ton else that I remember like about science or history until I was like all the history that I know is all stuff that I've watched on documentaries <laughs> or dug into since I've been out of college, right? Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of that I remember about war history or economies that I learned any time before I was 18, for sure. Even though a lot of your schooling was dedicated to that, you just don't have the brain, I don't think, developed to absorb and remember those type of uh, unuseful tidbits of information at that time. I mean, that's the key. It's, it's unuseful. I mean, my, my history classes were literally taught by my, my phys ed teacher, and yeah. they didn't care about the subject. Like, I didn't care about the subject. I, I would have learned way more if they said, like, okay, everyone watch this Netflix doc- documentary. And we're going to watch half an hour of it per day. And then we're going to talk about it for half an hour as a group mm-hmm. discussion. And mm-hmm. then we're gonna, that, that's one week. I guarantee that would, we would learn more from that. Yeah, like that. I love it. Well, one so, thing we can agree on is uh, education is definitely going to be evolving very quick. And there's going to be a massive emerging demographic of nomads and remote workers that are going to want to live this lifestyle and not compromise just because they're having kids. Uh, and there'll have to be systems, especially educational systems, that pop up to support that. Yeah. And you know what? Like what's cool about this kind of you know homeschooling idea I have with the private teacher idea is worse comes to worse. You know, I'm paying a full-time teacher myself, but I think it's it's worth it if I want to have kids. And then, mm-hmm. you know, in the best scenario, it's a business that actually makes money where my, not only do I earn money from organizing these trips, you know, or, or hiring these teachers, but also my kids get to, to have a great education for free. And Johnny, you get to get uh, reeducated on second grade mathematics. No, so. I, I won't be sitting through it. <laughs> but like, I mean, and also we're creating a job, like a dream job. Like imagine someone who's like, who's a, you know, is a teacher like a you know second grade teacher and you're like hey would you rather live in your small town back home and pay all these bills or do you want to come travel the world you have weekends off you have you know night like you know like you know and i, I wouldn't even have it be an eight hour day i think it's ridiculous to try to teach a kid for eight hours a day they don't have that attention span it'll probably be yeah. like a four-hour school day yeah four-hour school day and then go explore the local area and get introduced to the culture yeah a hundred percent i love it so what are your travel plans for the rest of the year? I'm going back to Florida uh, for basically to tidy up my apartment, get rid of it. Then I'm heading back to Spain uh, for a couple of weeks. Going to make a quick trip to Mykonos in the Greek islands. Uh, uh, should be nice. Then I'm back to, back, to, back to Florida, get my visa for Russia, and then I'll do Trans-Siberia. Planning to do it like end of November uh which would end us in beijing kind of early december and then probably do probably do christmas in thailand um and then make my way back to to spain for the kind of hopefully a new chapter of life okay. new base i like it yeah. I'll, I'll meet you out in thailand this december i'm definitely not going to go to beijing especially not in the winter yeah no it's just where the train ends i believe so yeah. just get off the train and get a flight down yeah i can, I can definitely see that and oh, so we've got it you know what's funny is we're about to wrap up this episode, but we, we, this episode was originally going to be about Lithuania, our time together, hanging out this trip. But I guess if you guys want to know more about it, you can read my blog post on johnnyft.com about Lithuania, watch the video. But overall, what, what were your impressions of Lithuania? I thought it was a fantastic country. I thought Vilnius was a wonderful city that entertained me for a month for sure. Uh, it's quiet. It's quaint. It's very orderly. You don't get the, 
I know they exist there, but you don't really see or the, get the stag parties like a lot of people talk about in the Baltics. No, no. There are no stag parties there. And the reason why I know that, I met a group of Lithuanian guys here mm-hmm. in Kiev that were on a stag party. <laughs> okay. So they are go. literally just leaving their own city yeah, and coming here for it. Yeah. Uh, the price was right. It's it's the EU, but it's still affordable. Uh, coffee shops are great. Excellent food. The Lithuanians are really nice. There's lots of, of activities in and around the city. Uh, I'll, I'll summarize. Like One guy I've talked to that was in Norway, who's a CEO of a company in Oslo, and I, and I asked him uh, what his favorite cities in Europe were, and he said Barcelona and Vilnius. And that was when I was in Vilnius. And I was like, wow, that's like that's that's really interesting because most people have never heard of Vilnius, certainly never been to Vilnius. And I, I would say that it's it's a fantastic city. I think it's gonna get a lot more attention from especially remote working community. And uh, I would go back. I had a lot of fun. I, sp- I spent a month there, which is a long time for me. And I, I enjoyed every every minute of it. Yeah, I, I would say I agree with everything you said. It's one of those places where if I had to live there for whatever reason, like if you said, Johnny, like this is where you live now, I'd be perfect, 100% happy. Mm-hmm. But having other options of having cheaper places in the world, places that are a little bit more exciting, places that are a bit more gritty, like places that have a bit more of a sense of adventure and places that are just like, I don't know, I guess that, that are just more overall interesting i would i would yeah. rather be in kiev where it's not as nice all right like it, it doesn't work as well it's not you know like not everything is as clean or as fancy but i'd rather be here just because it's it's yeah. more exciting for me yeah i could say if there's one knock on vilnius it might be a little bit too vanilla just yeah almost too orderly the parks are great it's super safe you can walk around at three in the morning no problems anywhere in the city probably I'm sure there's a couple of gritty spots, but uh, it's probably a place I would rather raise a family than be in my mid-30s and single. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good way to honestly, Yeah, honestly, I think if I lived there long term, you know, like I would have – I mean like Lithuanian women are beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. But they're also really untrusting. Like, and, and if you're a tourist, there's no way that they're going to give you the time of day. But if you're living there – you know, you can have a great, you could probably, not a great dating life, but you can probably meet a great, beautiful, amazing, you know, smart girlfriend. They speak great mm-hmm. English. So I would say, yeah, I would say it's a great place to live. So if I was European and I was living in the UK or something where the visa was an issue, I would move there. It's a little bit cheaper than Western Western uh, Europe. Uh, the It's it's nice. Like, infrastructure is great. But as an American, like, there's no way I would move there right now. <laughs> to kiev then kiev and barcelona we'll keep it we'll keep it uh to those those two destinations i love it all right i it was really fun talking to you um i know we didn't get too much into the income part of it but luckily we just recorded a one hour podcast on invest like a boss uh called it was episode 100 and i think 27 100 well, it'll be the most recent episode yeah out. Episode 124 of Invest Like a Boss, where we talk about exactly what we invest in and the kind of the money that we make from it. And but basically, the breakdown of it is Sam. If you guys, if you guys want to take a listen to his episode, I think it was 104 of Travel Like a Boss, or watch the video on uh, Nomad Summit. Just look for Sam Marks. He talks about how he sold and built and sold a company for in total. $100 million, kept tens of millions of it, and invested all of it 
to have enough money now to basically live off of passive income, uh, investment income. I've done it on a very much smaller scale where I've built up all my businesses, sold my dropshipping stores, and now I have enough money invested and making me passive income to have right now, I think about $2,500 to $3,000 a month in passive income, uh, a lot of it in, in investment income. So this is how we're able to travel and not have to trade time for money to be able to make money through investments and passive income. If you want to know more, take a listen to Invest Like a Boss. Subscribe to it on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now and look for that latest episode, which is 124. John, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on and uh, greetings and salutations to your audience. Yeah. Thanks, guys. See you guys all next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.